So we're in uh, week three of uh, our series, I Relate. God is a relational being, and everything comes out of the fact that God himself is in community, and that pours out into the world that he has created, making you and I, uh, you and me in his image as relational beings. It's our relationships above all else that help us make sense of who we are. And as people made in God's image, uh, that ability to relate lies at the core of how we relate to God how we relate to each other, and how we serve him in the world. That's kind of what we've been going on about for a while. You can uh, catch up with it all there at uh, forward slash I relate. Uh, You can get some of the CDs or whatever at the back if you've missed them. Now, harvest today, the reality of which it's easy to be lost on us. We're aware or maybe not, of the seasons as our climate changes and the seasons merge. Maybe we're even losing our awareness of the seasons. We're aware, perhaps though, that some things are seasonal. You can have strawberries, at least at a reasonable cost, for a short window. You can pick them for a short window. Then there's the blackberry season, and so on and so forth. But by and large, we live totally carefree as to whether or not the harvest comes in. We don't worry about it because we're effectively unaffected by it because there's always stuff on the shelves at our local store. It's not that we don't have these kinds of worries. It's just that they're different, but they plug into the same genre of the will the harvest come anxiety. For example, we worry about our jobs, whether I'll keep one, whether I've got one. We worry about our money, whether it will be enough. We worry about sudden unexpected expenditure, which is the kind of our version of what on earth happens if the crops fail this year, worry, and so on. So what was God trying to teach the people when he gave them two festivals to think about harvest? What did God want his people to know and understand as he asked of them to celebrate harvest? There are two harvest kind of festivals, one that was in the spring with the first, the early barley harvest, and the second in the autumn, the Feast of Tabernacles. The one in the spring, the Feast of first fruits, is what I'd like us to think about this morning because it sets the background, the canvas against which God wanted the people to celebrate harvest, It sets the backdrop and the canvas to which we understand uh, uh, the way we seek provision for our lives and the way we relate to God himself. In the midst of our anxieties as to whether I've got is enough, whether what I've got will remain what I've got, and so on and so forth. So, we dive straight in. The festival of first fruits in Leviticus chapter 23. Three and uh, hope you've got it in front of you. If you closed your Bible, what's the number of the Bible, please? Sorry? 126. 126. Okie doke. You've got it there in front of you. Leviticus chapter 23, I hope. Verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, 
when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. A sheaf, a big bundle of the first grain that you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So when the first harvest, the early barley harvest comes, take a great bundle of it to the priest who will offer it to the Lord on your behalf. But notice there are a few other things that you have to do as well. Verse 12, on the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb, a year old without defect. You have to find one of those. 13, verse 13, together with its grain offering of two tenths of a heifer of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made to the Lord by fire, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. So you've got to get some bits together as well, including a perfect lamb, in order to offer the first fruits, the beginnings of your harvest. So quite an effort for you to put in as soon as the first signs of harvest appear. Think how you're feeling as the first signs of harvest appear. It's been a long winter. The previous year's harvest that you've stored to feed your family is now almost depleted. You're coming to the end of your supply. This is your food, your sustenance, your, the survival of your own survival, that of your family, depends on this coming harvest because your resources, your supplies are running out. You've still got last year's children to feed, and you might have one, maybe two more since last year, and they're all a bit bigger, and their mouths are wider open. Furthermore, you've not eaten fresh food for the entire winter. Taste of something fresh is fading into the memory. And then the early harvest comes. What what do you want? You want to grab it, take hold of it with two hands, make sure it's locked away, eat the first fruits of it, taste it, be satisfied, and feel secure that the provision for the future months is on its way. So how strange, verse 14, you must not eat it. You're desperate for this provision. You must not eat it, verse 14. 14, any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. So before you bring this offering, you you gather it in, but you must not eat it. Then you've got to get the sacrifice stuff ready. Then you've got to wait for what? You've got to wait, it says, for a Sabbath day. A Sabbath day, verse 11. He was to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. It's the first harvest of the new year. You desperately need it. It's hands on deck. Uh, The the harvest time is a bit like project deadline time. It's all hands on deck to bring this in. This is a window of opportunity that we have to seize. We cannot sit around. This is the time for action. And God says, no, stop, sit back, relax, worship me, Spend a day enjoying the Sabbath. Gather the bits that you need for the sacrifice. Go the next day with your first fruits, the very food that you're longing to eat, and take it as an offering to the Lord. And that's what they were to do. How do you feel? 
as you gather your bundle of food and walk out the door with your family watching as you go. Why is God doing this? What's God trying to teach us by putting all these things in place? Almost a huge check in place the moment we receive the first fruits of harvest. Deuteronomy 6 gives us, uh, 26 rather, gives us some clues. You might like to turn to it. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Who'd have thought there'd be so much fun to have in these verses? Deuteronomy chapter 26. Uh, Page number for somebody? 203? 203. 203 in the Pew Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 26 and verse 1. When you've entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the, here we go, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time. So the harvest that you've been waiting for, that you're totally dependent upon, you've now gathered up in a basket, left your wife and your children at home, and you've gone to take it to the priest. Now, who's got to do the talking? Verse 3. Who has to do the talking? You have to do the talking. So you need a speech prepared. There's a challenge. Okay, say to the priest... I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the land swore to your forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord. Then you're going to speak out the speech that you have already prepared. My father was a wandering uh, Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. Verse 6. But the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Verse 7. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. Verse 8. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 9. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, big clue, big clue as to what God's doing in those verses. Who's done all the work so far? God, whose harvest might this be? Verse 10. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And then have a party. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice, have a party, in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. What's God trying to teach them and us? That we must never forget that we must never take it for granted that it all comes from him. The Feast of Firstfruits, a relationship of dependence. Is that why as the harvest gets underway 
and what humanly you have longed for, what humanly you have worked for, what humanly you need for your family, God says, stop, gather it up, take a break, take a Sabbath, gather it up, prepare a speech, get the things that you need, speech in your pocket, gather that food, take it out the door and offer it to me. Is not God in some way so aware of our human tendency that he wants to say, never ever forget, this is all about me. Because inside every human being is that desire, that belief to want to say, look what I have achieved. Look what I have done. Look what I've made happen. We want to be the authors of our own success. We want our CV to be our doing, and God says it's not. It never is, and it never will be. When the first fruit comes, wait for the Sabbath. Gather it up. Prepare your PowerPoint that tells of the history of your people, how God has rescued you, how God has saved you, how God has made this possible, how God controls the wind and the rain, how God brings in the harvest. And then bow down. Bow down. When was the last time you bowed down? It's all, all of it, God's. And remember, they're still hungry. They're still hungry. And when you're hungry, what do you think about? Food. You think about what you need. And God's saying, never forget who you really depend on, where it really comes from. God knows our tendency to want to play our part in our own success. Uh, uh, He knows how we want to take the credit. He knows how we want to get the glory. He knows how the pride of the human heart says, look what I have done. And so he creates this festival that knocks that right on the head at the beginning. As you gather in the very beginnings of your harvest, stop, remember, acknowledge, Speak out what God has done and bow down ever so low before you even eat a mouthful. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's just a few verses, um, uh, a few pages back from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 26. Uh, And you can see in Deuteronomy chapter 8 the kind of thing that God's worried about as the people get into the land, the the kind of thing that God is trying to uh, 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 protect us from as, uh, as those people settled down. Uh, Verse 10 of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, I guess that's all of us who've had a full meal in the last 24 hours, I would imagine. We eat and are satisfied. When you build fine houses, it's a bit close, isn't it? And settle down, verse 13, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases when the credit limit on your credit card has been extended, effectively, 
then what will happen? Your heart will become proud. Look what I have done. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your forefathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, what? My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. You may say that, but remember, the Lord your God For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. The only honourable way to live is that everything comes from God. All of it. There is nothing about your achievements that you dare say, look at that, because a God in heaven says it's only because of me. It's all from him. God is teaching us that we relate to him not as equals in any way, not even often as contributors as if he needed us. It is all grace that he invites us to join in his plan. It's all grace that he uses us. He does not need us or depend on us in any way, shape or form. He's the Lord God of heaven and earth. Having wealth, having resources, having money, it's all good. The Bible says it's all good here. Just remember where it came from. Just remember why you have it. So even though you haven't eaten all winter, take the first fruit that you're longing for and bow down low. I want you to acknowledge who puts the food on the table. And in the end, that's what grace is all about, isn't it? You know, the grace. For what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. And depending on who's cooking in your house, you pray that with more or less earnestness each time. I understand, says God, how you work. I understand your temptation to believe your own press release, that somehow you are responsible for what is around you. But remember, you are not. I want you tangibly, visibly, literally, by placing the basket before the priest to examine the condition of your heart. Is that what God's saying? What's going on in your heart before you eat the first fruits of the land? And as you look, survey, gather in, produce, make, create, earn, whatever. What's the condition of your heart? The Bible says the biggest problem with wealth is it has the tendency to make us proud. And we're all wealthy. The tendency to make us proud. It's why the tithe is so important, isn't it? Because we think it's ours. And God says, no, 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 just give away, give back to me the first fruits, the first tenth of what you earn, just to remember that it all comes from me. It's why the Sabbath is so important. Because if we we don't believe in the Sabbath, in the stopping from our work, 
It's like we're saying to ourselves and to God, hey, this all depends on us. So we can't possibly afford to stop even for one day in seven because this is what we need to achieve. And if only we work a little bit harder, then we will get it done. It's all about us, you and me. And the Sabbath says, no, no, no. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It doesn't matter what's going on. Take a break to remind you that it's all about God. And you know, when you stop, God's work carries on because he doesn't need you. Thank you. He doesn't need you. He can keep it going while you have a break. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. Knowing God has it all in his hands. And so we can stop from our labor. Because it's his doing through and through. So the first fruits teach us it's all about a relationship of uh, dependence. But there's more. Secondly... The first fruits teaches us that it's, and it's kind of the flip side of the same thing perhaps, a relationship of trust. A relationship of trust. When you take the first fruit of the harvest and you offer it to the Lord, you don't take it away again to eat, it's gone, you're giving it away. When you take the first fruit of the harvest, has the rest of the harvest come yet? No. No. One person, thank you. No, that's the point of this. You take the first to God and you still do not know whether the rest is going to come. God, how about we get all the harvest in, I can eat and be full and I'll have lots of energy to praise you. No, take the first fruit when you are vulnerable, when your need for to depend on him is at its height, take the first fruit then, and you do not know whether the rest will come. What's God looking for? Is it faith? Is he looking to say, do you trust me? Is God trying to teach us that in our relationship of dependence we have to learn trust what God is looking for from all of us is to live in a way that visibly and tangibly says God we trust you there is no other but our tendency to gather the harvest in first is simply a visible and tangible sign that we are trusting the harvest rather than the harvest giver. Is it typical of God to give you a first step, go and take the first fruits, without giving you the rest? Noah, build a boat. Why? Build a boat. Abraham, Go to the land. Which land? Go, I'll show you. Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. I haven't got any kids. You're going to be the father of many nations. Sarah's now really old. You're going to be the father of many nations. Somehow this capsulates God's dealing with us because he wants us to learn to trust him more than anything else in the whole of the world. That he, that relationship with him comes first, 
And everything about our lives flows out of this relationship where we've learned to depend on him and therefore trust him. What's your first fruit, first step offering? What might God be asking you to do and you're not doing it because he hasn't told you all the other steps? God's call on our lives is like that. Peter, James, John, come follow me. Where are we going? Come follow me. What if Jesus had said, well, it's this, 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 and this, and by the end, you'll die on a cross upside down. So there might be good reason. That wasn't very encouraging, was it? There might be good reason why, in God's agenda, he doesn't always tell you all about what's next. But what he wants from us is not to trust the plan, not to trust the steps, not to know how it'll all work out, because as soon as we think we've got it all figured out, we'll trust in what? Ourselves? He says, no, take this first step, and you do not know. Bring this harvest, even though you do not know whether the rest of the harvest is coming this year, because I need you more than anything else to trust me. And sometimes God puts us in really precarious places where we can only see one step, and God says, come on, take this step, and we're like going, is there anyone else here? any other way, any other, just this step. Why? Because he wants us more than anything to learn to trust him. What might God be asking you to do that you are not doing because you cannot see the other steps? Let me take the stress out of this. God will not show you the other steps until you take the first one. There isn't a verse in the Bible, I think, that says that somehow. You have to count the cost, but God will keep you guessing. It's as simple as that. He's the God of the 11th hour. He's the God of the last minute. He will show up right on time. But the reason he does that is that he wants more than anything for you to depend on him and trust him. And so can you imagine gathering up the only fresh food that you have at the end of winter and taking it and bowing down to the God of heaven and earth? It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Powerful moment. What's God asking us to gather up, to bow down to the God of heaven and earth and say, hey, this is all yours. All of it. It's all yours. And I'm giving it to you so that I can trust you. You know, it's back to the Sabbath again. There's parallels with tithing, parallels with Sabbath. They're all, they're, they're all mixed in here. You see, if you think you, your work is all down to you, then you'll need to do just a little bit more. And if you still think it's down to you, then you'll need to do a little bit more. And if you still think it's down to you, then you'll need to do a little bit more again. And so we become a generation, a nation of unstoppable workers because we think it all depends on us. And God says, first day, first day of the week, stop, stop. Six days, you've been working. On the seventh, you shall rest. Even when the pressure is on. Notice that. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Even when the fields are absolutely ready and your food is just there for you to take it, and if you don't take it in this small window of opportunity, it will rot and the whatever eats your food will eat your food. Not gardening type. Um, uh, that'll happen. It'll go bad and decay. So you've got this small window, even when the heat is on. No, God, this is yours. If I can't trust you for the harvest, who can I trust? Do I kid myself that this is down to me? If I get out in that field and sort it out, then what's mine will be mine. No. God says no. God says no. Even during the harvest season. Jesus takes up that same idea, doesn't he? If you, uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you uh, work really hard, if you give it all you've got, if you squeeze every last effort out of your day, 
No, remain in me. Get stuck into me and you'll bear much fruit. It's kind of a different work ethic, isn't it? To the one that perhaps we've lived by sometimes. Be still and know that I am God. Unless the Lord builds the house. Forget it. And what are you doing in your life? What am I doing in my life to show that the Lord is building the house? Am I offering my first fruits? Am I giving of my tithe? Am I giving of the Sabbath? Uh, Am I giving and stopping and acknowledging? Am I bowing down and saying, Lord, in the way that I live, I'm saying, unless you're building, then it's all in vain. Or as it says in that psalm, do I rise early and stay up late? Do I live as if it's all about me? And finally, as we come into land, the Feast of First Fruits reminds us that we're to have a relationship of expectancy. Of expectancy. First fruits literally means there's more to come. Isn't that brilliant? I'm gathering to the priest my first fruits. Lord, I'm bringing to you, and there's more to come. That's the promise of the festival of first fruits. That there's always more to come. God says, live expecting that there's more. Live not just celebrating what you have. Live not just rejoicing in all that has been. And those things are fantastic on both accounts. But also live with the dream, the knowledge, the certainty that there's more. What are you expecting? What are you expecting? Is your default position this coming week expectancy that God will do more than you saw him do last week? How cool is that? From glory into glory till we see him face to face. That's the journey. How do you describe the Christian life? You get poured out of the Spirit, Paul says, and you go from glory into glory till you see him face to face. What's your expectancy this week about what God will do, where you work, where you live, in your relationships, in whatever it is that comes your way? We were um, just reveling in last Sunday night, listening to so many of the young people talk about what God had done in their lives over the summer. And one of the things, as, as Heather summed that evening up, talked about, uh, there's something about the, that moment uh, uh, in the summer of gathering with lots of people where there is an expectancy that God will do stuff. God rises to our expectancy, doesn't he? You notice that? He matches us head on with what we expect. And that can be a good thing and a tricky thing for us. What are you expecting? Jesus couldn't do much at Nazareth, even though it was his hometown, because they didn't expect much. Jesus of Nazareth, he can't do diddly squat. They got what they expected. Two verses to go. There's a lovely final twist. And what's brilliant about the Bible is it goes from beginning to end. Remember we did the story last year, or was it the year before? I can't remember. Um, and, and, And we just traced the way Jesus goes right through the Old Testament. And uh, Feast of First Fruits, there's loads of things in that about Jesus. But notice how Paul picks it up towards the end of the Bible. He says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the what? The first fruits, the there is more, 
the are you expecting more of those who have already fallen asleep or died? Be expectant, Paul says, because Jesus is like the first offering when you know that God is faithful and the full harvest will come. Hallelujah. Be expectant that Jesus, the first fruit, risen from the dead, will bring many alive in him. It's like the initial promise, the the first step where God says, look, test me in this and see if I won't prove myself. Be expectant. And that's why so many of the harvest hymns will sing tonight, can you thankful people come, move from the the, the sort of field metaphor, uh, the physical harvest, uh, uh, almost seamlessly into the spiritual harvest because that's how the Bible is, is, is loaded. There was this physical acknowledgement that God will bring the harvest in, moves its way through Jesus to the day when there will be the harvest, people from every tribe, tongue, language, nation, people uh, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Even so, Lord, quickly come, bring your final harvest home. Gather now your people in, free from sorrow, free from sin. There is more. There is more. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, Then when he comes, those who belong to him. So there we go. What are you expecting? More. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What in your life this week shows that you are trusting God first? What are you giving to him that is a sign that you are more dependent upon him than you have ever been? What's that? first fruit, first step of faith God's asking you to make? And what's the condition of your heart as you look at all? It would seem that you yourself have created and achieved. There's more to come. Praise be to God. Let's pray together.